All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got longtime NFL coach and, and Army veteran Ben Cutwika. Ben, how's everything going for you? Really good, Zach. Thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. So football's done for a while. What have you been doing in the meantime until it picks back up? I know we've got free agency in a couple of weeks. How have you been managing your time? Been doing a handful of things. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to spend with uh, with the family. Um, so I've just been winning championships. Uh, I, my, I got a 12 year old son that uh, took his uh, rec basketball team to the championship and uh, ended up uh, coming away with some hardware. So that was a real kick that finished up last week. So it's really been on the personal side an opportunity um, uh, to spend with them. And then on the professional side, really just expanding the net, talking to guys that I haven't talked to. Uh, in a long time, and then just exploring options, whether it be in football or uh, other industries. Uh, as you mentioned, went to, went to Army, went to West Point, uh, was in the military for a handful of years. So, uh, Zach, this has really been an opportunity to, to connect with people that really I haven't had the opportunity to do that. That's awesome. So I want to I ask you, so you were most recently with the Falcons, the situation was kind of – it wasn't the best situation. The, the coaching staff got um, – they kind of moved on from it. What, what did you did you kind of see that coming long term? Because I know with Quinn's coaching staff, a lot of the, I know the year before there were some rumors. Did, did, were you guys kind of anticipating yeah. that, or how did that well, go all about? Well, a, a couple things. You know, I, I don't know if I'd agree with you. Like a great situation. First off, uh, our, our tremendous respect for the owner, Mr. Blank, yeah. uh, has had a lot of success in my interactions with him. He is an excellent owner. Wants to do everything that he can help uh, uh, the team. Um, front office was supportive uh, in Q is exceptional to work with. Uh, I had worked with him uh, previously with the Jets back in 2000 and uh, oh shoot, now we're talking 2007, 2008 when I was with the Jets and had the opportunity to work with him here. And uh, Dan Quinn is an exceptional football coach, but he's even a better human being. So um, it's just unfortunate the way things you know worked out and uh, that happens. I mean, it's a very, very competitive league and um, just things didn't, didn't turn out the right way. But as far as uh, the organization, the coaches that I work with, Raheem Morris, you know, obviously the defense coordinator now out in L.A., just some fantastic people. Dirk Cutter, um, you know, learned a lot from him. Uh, he was our O.C. and, you know, the knowledge that he he had. And then, you know, Bob Sutton's another one. It's just an institutional knowledge of football. So, Really a great experience, and uh, we'll, we'll see where the future takes us. Awesome. And then I wanted to ask you, so I saw today that apparently somebody submitted a possible rule change. Everybody's talking about the onside kick, and now they're sure. bringing up, what if we do a fourth and 25, or I think it's fourth and 25 or fourth and 15 in place of the onside kick as a, as a longtime special teams coach? What is, what's your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is uh, I'm never a fan of taking the foot out of football, right? Whether it's in the uh, PAT field goal kickoff, I really think that, there's origins in the game there uh, where the kicking game is essential. Um, so, um, you know, with the fourth and 25, I think there's other factors that you got to think into one that, you know, obviously comes to mind is um, if you have an interference call on the defense, maybe it's a, if you want to call it a ticky tack foul or there's incidental contact, you know, that's now going to turn the ball over um, which would be a huge, huge part of the game. Um, and the other one that I would share with you is, on the fourth and 25, you know, like on an onside kick, you can't advance that, right? So that onside kick, most of the time that doesn't get advanced where, you know, if you get a deep ball and it's an interception, now they can, um, they can return that for points. And so that can be a huge uh, game changer. You know, I still think that 
the onside kick is a viable uh, play. I think that, um, you know, there's some modifications that you might be able to make, make to it. Um, you know, if you're looking for more recoveries and such, you know, making the probability of getting the ball uh, back more probable. So um, we'll see how it shakes out. I know it was kind of close a couple of years ago. And, and as you mentioned, you know, now in the rules change, the owners and the competition committee will be looking at that. Is Young Way Koo the best onside kicker you've ever seen? He's one of the best, you know, uh, so we're getting into the onside kick world. That is near and dear to my heart um, for a couple different reasons. Uh, but yes, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, he had a tremendous success rate, right? We had a couple uh, last year uh, against New Orleans on Thanksgiving Day where, you know, we kind of got us back into the game and just had a really knack of, of that ball. And we did some things execution and tactic wise, which I think helped out. And then we got another one actually the work week before Dallas in week one against Seattle. And so um, if he's not the best, he's, he's one of the best. It's something they practice at a little bit. And uh, it's, it's one of those things he's got a, got a knack for it. Was it one of those two games or was it this season before my memory's fading me right now that he did either two or three in a row that got you guys right back in the game when it was completely over? Yeah, it was three in a row. So what happened was, is we played New Orleans on a Thanksgiving night and we were down and, um, we got one and then we were off sides. We, we had a penalty. We did it again. We got it. Da, 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 got another one. And um, so, yeah, we, we got a, uh, we got a couple in a row there on that Thanksgiving night and got us back into the game. And so um, I've had some experience with onside kicks. That's unbelievable. And then to being, spending a lot of time in the NFC South, were you surprised to see Tampa win it all? Uh, no, I was not surprised. Um, so here, here's what I thought about that, that matchup. Um, Tampa has got an excellent defensive front. Uh, you could ask our online coach, uh, Chris Morgan, when we were there, I know that they always posed problems for us. And I think that even dating back when you had the, um, you know, the giants, uh, when they had that success against New England, their ability to rush with four and with Barrett on one side, JPP on the other, V came back, uh, Goldston was in there, and of course, Sue, that is as good a front as you're going to find. And then obviously with Kansas City having some of the, the uh, health issues on their offensive side of the ball, um, I really thought that that was a matchup that was going to pose them problems and it ended up playing out that way. And I think that um, it still shows you, you know, with with the, the speed in the game, which is very important, the passing in the game, which is very important. Um, there's still something to be said about that line of scrimmage, right? And if you can win the line of scrimmage, which I think Tampa did on both sides of the ball, obviously able to put pressure on the quarterback. You know, I saw some stat where Mahomes ran for like 500 yards back and forth. If you're able to do that with four, you can play coverage with seven. Uh, it gives you a real good chance. And then, you know, Tampa did a nice job of running the football and establishing the line of scrimmage on the other side of the ball as well. Who do you think is the best special teams player in the NFL today? The best special teams player? Um, well, I, I would, a couple names that pop out, um, you know, even Taysom Hill is a very influential, impactful player. I think New Orleans has got a couple guys. Uh, Justin Hardy is, uh, is another player at the speed position. Uh, that does a great job of influencing the game. And, um, you know, even though Hill's a quarterback, I mean, uh, they, they've done a great job with him. And he's, he's a player that you always have to account for. The other speed player that I really like, and again, uh, NFC South near and dear to my heart, is Ryan Smith out of Tampa. He plays their flyer, their gunner. He's a coverage player on the uh, kickoff side. He's a player that can really, uh, really impact the game. 
Do you think once eventually when Steve Tasker gets in, special teams players will get more appreciation? It gets into the Hall of Fame. They might. There might be a little bit of a, a little bit of a trend there. Um, you know, I think that just speaks to his impact that he's in the discussion as far as uh, you know being a player that might go go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, a, a long track record of success there in uh, in Buffalo, and uh, hopefully that maybe breeds some you know some some momentum. Uh, to keep that going. But uh, as far as a special teams player, I mean, you know, definitely well-deserving. I want to ask you about your career a little bit. How did you end up uh, in the Army at West Point? How did that all, how did it all uh, unfold? Sure. Out of Chicago, um, got recruited to play. Um, Bob Sutton was the head coach up at Army. Uh, he's now a defensive analyst, senior defensive analyst down there with Jacksonville. I owe a lot to him, a mentor. Uh, went to West Point, played there. Um, and then uh, GA'd for a year uh, as a graduate assistant. And then I got into the army. And so I flew helicopters for eight years. I uh, did a tour in uh, Bosnia, I did a tour out in Korea and then the war hit in three. And so when I came back from Korea, uh, I became a combat company commander out in Iraq. So I did that for a little bit over a year. And uh, um, you know, while we're talking about it, I, I can't thank the people that wear the uniform enough. Uh, just. Uh, selfless service, especially the team that that I was part of, uh, from the officers to the enlisted personnel, just really, really great people. So, you know, those that are listening or watching, I, I would say any chance that you get to thank a service member, Army, Navy, or whatever branch of service, uh, they provide that umbrella, which allows us to do the things that we do. So um, when I was coming out of Iraq in 2000 and uh, five, it was at a crossroads. And um, I was one of those players, Zach, that uh, coaches always said, hey, you know, you'd, you'd be a really good coach. I wasn't the tall. I mean, I'm, I'm five, nine and a half, five, ten, 195 pounds, and I played linebacker, right? So uh, there was things that helped me uh, be productive where I was able to start for three years at Army. So, hey, Ben, you know, you would be a really good coach. And so, um, so that always stuck in my mind. I always kept in touch with coaches who had coached me, um, Perry Fuel, who's now the VP of officiating. He helps out there in the league office, Coach Sutton I mentioned, uh, and a handful of others. And so when I left, I got an email from Bobby Ross. He was the head coach up at Army. And he said, hey, Ben, I got a spot for you. Would you be interested? And that kind of got me going. And then I went back and I GA'd at Army for a few years. So awesome. uh, it, was a, it was a really interesting, uh, interesting time. When, when you first got to Army, did you know you kind of wanted to get into uh, like, like more, like I know a lot of people go and they'll do something kind of on the side, on the sidelines. Did you kind of know like, all right, I kind of want to, I want to be a pilot. I kind of want to do that kind of thing. Well, I think that um, first off there's, you know, when you're at West Point early on, there's some survival techniques that you're just, I mean, I don't even know if you're thinking like pilot or graduating, you're really taking it day by day. And uh, Zach, it really, the cool thing, a couple of things about West Point uh, first off, you know, arguably the, the best leadership institution that we have in the country. Um, one of the things that West Point does is it teaches you to fail, right? They throw so many things at you, whether it's athletically, militarily, academically, you have to learn to be, overcome failure and keep going. And so uh, the reason I bring that up is because like you mentioned, being a pilot, that really wasn't on the radar, man. It was, I'm focusing where my feet are. Let's get through the next 24 to the next one. And there were moments where you're questioning yourself. I remember I grew up in Chicago. My father was a police officer in Chicago, uh, just on the south side of Chicago. And I remember making my first phone call to him. I says, hey, uh, 
you know, dad, and he's all excited, him and my mom, hey, how's it going? It wasn't going great, man. It wasn't going great at all. And I'm like, uh, that's okay. And my dad says, he's like, what's, what's the matter? I said, well, dad, I don't know if this place is for me. He says, okay, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know, dad, you know, maybe Eastern Illinois, maybe Illinois State, because again, I was from Chicago. And he says, well, what do you want to do? You want to quit? I said, well, if there's another option, he's like, well, you can leave, but you ain't coming back here. So that made my decision pretty easy that uh, I was going to stay there and I just kept pushing through. So uh, the idea of becoming an attack helicopter pilot, that didn't really spark until uh, my junior, senior year. And the reason it sparked was I said, hey, listen, if I'm going to be in the military, I want to do something that's pretty cool. And I thought flying helicopters was a pretty good deal. That's unbelievable. Is it how much training do you have, do you have to put into finally until they let you actually do it? Yeah, so you graduate, and like I said, I GA, so I did that for uh, for about seven, eight months, and then you go to flight school, and so flight school, all encompassing Zach, is probably about fifteen months. Um, you know, there's initial like learning how to fly. Uh, one of the toughest things is just hovering the helicopter. I mean, just putting the helicopter in a spot where it just stays in one place is one of the most difficult tasks in flying. So. Uh, that took a while, but usually it's about 15 months. You learn how to fly into the clouds. You learn how to do tactics. You learn how to fly at night. And uh, and then you transition to your aircraft. And again, mine was the AH-64. So that was the, the Apache and it was the gunship. And I thought that that was a pretty cool mission and being able to protect the ground forces. And then um, a few years later, that became applicable when we went to Iraq in 2004. That's awesome. I didn't do too well on the parallel parking and the driver's test. Would that discredit me in my quest to become a pilot? Or would they say, maybe we'll see what you got? Well, it probably puts you behind the power curve a little bit, but they'll, they'll teach you. You know, if you got, if you got balls and heart, they'll teach you the rest. That's unbelievable. <laughs> okay, do, do you, do, do you, could you, if they, if they called you up today and said, Hey, we need you to, we need you to fly. We need you to land a, a, a Apache. Could you use, would you need a little refresher course? Or you think you could still do it? It might be a little bit of a rough landing, man, but I think I could get it down, you know, uh, uh, they always say like takeoffs are optional, landings are mandatory. So you're going to land is, you know, what it's going to look like. But yes, I, I, I think I could. I mean, it's uh, a little bit riding, like riding a bike to a, a little bit higher scale. But um, uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I get that sometimes like, hey, if this plane, you know, if the pilot wasn't available on this plane, would you be able to land? I don't know about that. But um, yeah, I think I could function it. They have FM radios in those things or no? I feel like no is the answer. FM radio, like to, yeah, like, no, yeah, this is, what was that movie, Firebirds or whatever, where they're yeah. listening to rock music? No, but there is a lot of radios, especially when you're in combat operations in Iraq and you're talking cool. to air traffic control, ground control, your command post. Um, there, there's about four or five people trying to talk to you. So um, there's a lot that goes on inside that cockpit regarding uh, shooting, moving, communicating, yeah. navigating. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a cool job. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the military, man. I, I really enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the mission. I, I didn't get out of it, you know, in 2005 there, I didn't get out of it because I didn't like it. I got out of it because I really wanted to coach football. Um, it was one of co coaching football is one of those things where I didn't want to look back 20 years later and say, you know what, you'd have been pretty good at it. So yeah. uh, ended up doing it. And, uh, you know, the football run's been good. That's awesome. What, what was your, was one last uh, army question. What was your first mission like? Well, you have multiple missions. So I, I would say that um, I'd say that the, the first mission, especially in Iraq, 
right? So you fly a lot of training missions, whether it be here at Fort Hood, Texas or Fort Bragg. Uh, even in uh, Korea, you're flying missions, but it's not a two-way range. Iraq was the first opportunity where uh, you're pulling triggers and they're pulling triggers at you and you know, the enemy had a vote, right? So they can, they're going to you know, fire back. So uh, it gets a little bit tense, but it's almost like a little bit like game day, right? You have this nervous uh, excitement kind of adrenaline and then really training kind of takes over. And it's, it's, like I said, it's very similar to, you know, once the kickoff goes, now you're just, you're into it. You know, you get that, you know, whether you're a coach or, you know, I play, you know, player or coach, you know, you kind of have that nervous anxiety and then, you know, the first hit or the first play, and now you're just you're just rolling in it. So that's similar to what a mission was like. That's awesome. And then so yeah. when, when you, you talked about to you after you you left the military, getting into coaching. Um, when did you realize like okay, this is this could be a long term career path rather than just maybe something I'm trying out? Um, pretty early on, it was something that uh, I was attracted to. I enjoyed. So again, I coached for two years at. Uh, at West Point, and then Bob Sutton had called. He's again, he's now the senior defensive sitting there in Jacksonville, and he was Eric Mangini's defense coordinator. He says, "Hey, you know, I got a job for you that you're going to be, you know, underpaid, overworked. Uh, would you like? You know, would you be interested? It's a chance to get into the league, and um, and so I took it, and so it was a great learning experience. Again, great coaches." Um, you know, I was, I did special teams under, you know, one of the best special teams guys, Mike Westhoff, uh, for a handful of years. I was on the defensive side under Coach Sutton. And then when Eric got let go, you know, Rex came in and that's when I moved more towards special teams. And of course that was Rex and uh, Mike Petten, um, you know, and those guys and such. So um, Bill Callahan on the offensive side, just a great network of uh, mentors, coaches, leaders. It was pretty cool. Your favorite Rex Ryan story that you could tell that's PG 13. <laughs> uh, well, here, here's, there's a bunch. Uh, the thing that resonates me, with me when you mentioned that is my first year I was on the headset. And so uh, Mike Westhoff wasn't a headset guy. You know, he'd been in the league for a long time, but Rex wanted to have the opportunity. Rex wanted to have the opportunity to communicate with special teams, you know, for whatever situations occurred. So I had this headset on and I was tuned into the defensive side. And there's a reason that Rex is really, really good at what he's doing now on ESPN, because I would assure you like the entertainment value of the NFL is very high, right? Just watching it, but there's going to be somebody someday that's going to pipe into the headset and listen to the play-by-play and the audio of the coaches and I would assure you that if it's not already the number one watch show, like with Rex on the headset, listening, by far the most entertaining year uh, of my life, um, you know, from multiple things, whether our, you know, whatever play happens, you know, one, I remember playing Cincinnati last game of year, Rex is standing right next to the heater and we had those plastic pants on, you know, to keep you warm and it was raining. And he wasn't paying attention. All of a sudden, it's whole chip. You know, he's caught on fire, and his his uh, his pants are on fire, and he's yelling and screaming. But uh, uh, Rex was was awesome, uh, great coach, and really just very enjoyable to work for. And um, it was a great experience. You know, t- you know, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we go back to back AFC championship games, and um, really, really a cool time in my my journey. What was it like coaching, um, being on the coaching staff with Darrell Rivas? Uh learned as much from him as we taught 
learned as much from him as we taught him, you know, that, that kind of deal. And why and the mannerisms and the way in which he attacked his craft. I think that anybody on that staff or watching Durrell, especially in those years, nine and 10, uh, would tell you that he uh, was the best practice player that, uh, that I'd been around. Uh, and just his competitive nature, especially when you got into the team and the seven on seven, um, took it personally when a ball was caught on him, which wasn't very often. Um, so I think that uh, he was the uh, standard in which other players should attain to, not only in the games, but especially in practice, especially in practice. He was a master of his craft, excellent at the line of scrimmage, could get his hands on. He was physical. He's stronger than maybe a lot of people think. And he was had the ability to really press and get somebody off their route early in the down where the quarterback's not going in that direction. So, um, you know, those were a couple of things that stick out me when I think of Darrell Revis. Has there been a quarterback as dominant as him in the NFL since he left? Not that I, you know, again, I, you know, as a special team coach, you're in tune to the defensive side, you're in tune to other players, you hear of, you know, uh, certain corners, whether, you know, now Ramsey with the, with the Rams, uh, but week in and week out, having seen what he did during those years in nine and 10, um, you know, how, how he, you know, he'd be a hall of famer. There's no question about that. I, I, I don't remember seeing a corner that could single-handedly take away a side of the field and give you the defensive flexibility really to play, you know, 10 on nine, you know, when you take away that side of the field. So, um, and that, you know, that's not a discredit to any of the corners that I've seen play. That's more of a volume of the credit to Durrell in the performance that I saw, especially in those years, uh, nine and 10. That's awesome. How did you end up in DC? So in DC, um, my contract had come to an end up in, uh, in New York and, um, Jay had gotten a head job in, um, and I didn't know Jay, Jay had gotten a head job in DC and Bob Sutton uh, had known John and uh, Jay was looking for a guy. So uh, I went out to uh, Washington. I interviewed with him and uh, Jim Hazlitt, who I uh, got a lot of respect for. Jim, Jim's an excellent coach. Uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things and the way to, to go about business. And so I interviewed with those two and then uh, um, ended up uh, getting the job and then started the, well, shoot, what was it? A five-year run there with uh, really great players. I, you know, I was really fortunate to work with Tressway and Dustin Hopkins, two, two, uh, two players who I think are, are really good. Yeah, I, mean, I think they're both, they might be both be free agents. I believe they bring it back. They've been extending and um, Nick Sundberg. I think he's a free agent as well. Uh, yeah, well, okay. So on, on those players specifically, right? So Tress, you know, uh, my first year, uh, my first year, we were in a little bit of a situation where we weren't sure who the punter was going to be. Uh, we Raka? Raka? We had uh, Saab Raka, and then we had um, Rob Malone. And so they went through a guy named Blake Clinton. You know, so we had a couple guys. And then I remember uh, watching tape and such, and Tress had caught my eye in a preseason game. I called Joe D. Camillus, who, because Tress was, was competing or had just gotten let go. And uh, so we, he came to us and uh, just a diligent, hard worker in his craft. Always had a big leg trusted um he's thick in the lower half uh can really deliver a ball and so we worked for those years there as far as um ball striking and not out punting the coverage you know it's interesting when you assess these punters like hey you know is it directionally is it hang time over distance 
and um, and Tress uh, Tress would pull most of his balls. He was really a punter that could punt the ball. You know, he's left footed, so he punt the ball to his right, return teams left, but really worked at his craft and. Um, you know, the year, the year I felt like, you know, became the pro bowl punter there in the NFC and arguably could have been the guy this year. So um, greatness crafting and Hopkins, tremendous leg strength. Uh, I think he is a free agent. It'll be interesting to see how that ends up shaking out. Um, excellent ball flight trajectory. And then, you know, you mentioned Sunberg, you know, Sunberg's a consummate pro. He's been in the league a long, long time. And um, you know, the thing that I credit with, Nick is his mentorship of Tress and Hop when they came in. Um, we're showing our age here a little bit, but, you know, he was there in those years, um, especially like, you know, 15 and 16, really helping those guys. And, uh, and that, that's a, that, that was a good battery. Why do you think that Andre Roberts has peaked in Buffalo, but couldn't do it in DC? Well, I think that uh, Andre always had returnability. He's, he, you know, with Andre, I think this, I think that there's certain players that have a knack for things. And he uh, has obviously has an excellent knack, whether it was with the jets, you know, he had success there. He's had success in Buffalo. He's just got a feel for the return game. I think we had limited success in DC and it was starting to climb, but you know, it just went in a different direction. You know, I think like with that player, um, the value went, you know, as you get into these decisions, which are not easy, um, hey, you keeping this guy? We're going to let go. What is his value on the offensive side? And so, in the special teams world, you get uh, you get that balance, right? What value is he bringing to the offensive side? And I don't necessarily know. I didn't think at that time like his his value was as high on the special team side, where it balanced you know the uh, lack of production, if you will, on the offensive side. And so, um, you know, they they ended up moving on a different direction. But he he's done a, a great job, not only in the kickoff return game, but the punt return game. I mean, he's got good speed, but it's not like electric. But he's got a really good feel for the return, a really good feel, really good vision, and uh, I tip my hat off to him. Great guy, diligent worker. Would yeah. work out, you know. My recollection would work after practice all the time as far as ball security and such, and uh, has done a nice job and has obviously helped uh, uh, Buffalo, you know, get to where they're at. Do you think teams should have a dedicated returner that you don't see him on offense? Just, just kind of, kind of like a Dante Hall before they started using him as a receiver. Yeah, well, I think the game has changed. So what I mean by that, Zach, is you have to look at the value of the position. When you talk about a dedicated returner, are we talking about a guy that's doing both, right? So returner, for instance, like a Cordero Patterson yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Cordero brings great value because he's exceptional in the kickoff return game. But if you watch him, they also get tremendous value out of him in the punter and the gunner position, right? The flyer position off the edge where he's able to cover punts. Um, I would put more value in the punt return game than I would the kickoff return game. Why? Because you just look at the touchback percentage and the number of plays that you're actually getting in that phase. So um, if you can find a guy that's a dual player, like able to do kickoff return and punt return and then provide value on the offensive side, that might be the ideal set. Otherwise you're trying to mix and match uh, you know, guys in there. If you look at like, uh, you know, Kansas City with Hardeman, they get mileage out of him on both sides and he's an effective offensive, um, he's effective offensive weapon. If you go to New Orleans, they got Deontay Harris, who is exceptional as a yeah. punt returner and he's very, very good as a kick returner. And then they're getting value on the offensive side. So I think that just kind of gives you a perspective of 
in the special teams world, the holistic approach that you got to have on, you know, these players, because you don't have a hundred of them, you know, there's a finite number of guys that you can keep. So, you know, if you can get the value for the guy that does both awesome, otherwise you got to kind of mix and match and see where that player provides value, whether it's on the offensive side or the defensive side. So I was talking to uh, Morton Anderson a couple months ago, yep. asking him about just the, the concept of icing the kicker. And he said, for some guys, he said, especially for him, he said, you can't ice ice. There's some guys in the league that you can tell as soon as the opposing team calls timeout, this one's going wide left or wide right. Um, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can be Notre Dame and kind of predict which way it's going to go. Um, I, I'm sure in the world of analytics nowadays, there's some number that provides you for, hey, if you ice this kicker or don't ice this kicker. Um, and part of the special teams role is your game management and you're helping the coach uh, in regard to certain decisions. And so that's, uh, that's one of them. I would just say like with the kickers that I've been around um, and just watching, like when you do get that icing situation, a lot of them would prefer just to hit the kick and then they get like a practice shot, right? So they kind of get a feel for it. So you just have to be, you got to be judicious and, hey, listen, am I going to do this and give this guy an opportunity to hit one, you know, hit two? So I, I wouldn't say it's an exact science. There is a little bit of a feel. Uh, fortunately, you know, for, for us, like down here in Atlanta, you know, we had Koo who had a tremendous year and so he went to the Pro Bowl. So we're very, I was, I've been very fortunate. Tressway, Hopkins, some, you know, obviously with, with Koo, that's been a, been, a, been a great group. So I have an idea to improve field goals, make them more fun for fans and yeah, make them a little bit more, more interesting. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this. So, you know, like if you're playing horse and you call off the backboard, if you don't get it off the backboard, the shot doesn't count. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, I think they should do that. If you get it off the upright and you call it and it goes in, it doesn't go off the upright, no points. But if you do get it, you get four. That could work. You know what some people were talking about in order to, this is a couple of years ago when I, like I helped with the rule as far as kickoff coverage, kickoff return, right? To improve the safety of it, get a little bit more returns. That's where you see the formation now where you have eight guys within a certain uh, yardage of the restraining line, right? Now there's eight guys up there, but one of them was, hey, what about if you, you know, to promote some more touchbacks if you wanted to? What if you kick from the 35 and the ball goes through the upright and you get a point? I like it. You yeah. know, now you're, now you're trying to trying to do that. But, uh, yeah, the horse, you know, submit it. You know, just uh, right. you never know. It might might work, whether it's fourth and 25. I yeah. think the league is open to trying to find different ways to, to improve the game. But yeah. I, I still like the idea of keeping the, the foot in football, so. Do you think they'll ever, for maybe like a 60 yard and beyond, they'll give you more than three points? you think they'll ever, they'll never change that? There's been some discussion. I think sometimes, Zach, you just got to watch when you're doing the tinkering, if you want to call it tinkering, modifications, adjustments, that you don't modify it too much where you're taking away, uh, you know, what the game, you know, was, you know, or is, or the origins of it. I mean, I think, you know, number one, if you're making modifications, should be number one for player safety, right? Because those guys that battle 17 weeks throughout the year, man, they are going and I got nothing but respect for, you know, I've been in 15 years and um, they play hard, they're dedicated to their craft. So again, if you're going to make some rules changes, give us the data. If it's for player safety, I'm okay with it. Um, next would be entertainment value. So, yeah. you know, if you want to make a 60 yard field goal, four points, you know, yeah. maybe. Yeah, and I just got one last question for you. So in, 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 so in 15 years of coaching, who's the player who wasn't a kicker 
But when you saw them out there practicing, if you needed them on the fly, they could jump in and you could rely on them. Well, there was a, there was a handful of players, you know, I, I think, um, I think uh, most recently, like Atlanta had a, had a handful of guys, whether it was Calvin really, or even, even uh, Julio, you know, they were always chomping at the bit to get in there. I think back, uh, like when we were in uh, Washington, there was a handful of guys, uh, you know, Revis was like that for a time when we were in New York with the Jets, but I've been fortunate to be surrounded. You know, remember that, I don't know if you remember in the Jets days with Brad Smith and Eric Smith, those were the Smith brothers and they were exceptional. Brad Smith was a quarterback out of Missouri and just an all kind of guy, gadget guy to do whatever uh, he could. And then of course, Leon Washington, who's now back with the Jets uh, helping out on the special team side, which is great for him. Great, well-deserved and uh, just a great guy. So um, the cool thing is, is uh, the guys that I've been around, uh, it hasn't been a labor of love to try to get them in there to play special teams. I mean, they want to be part of it. Uh, they want to be part of the meetings. They want to help contribute. And that's a testament of these players in the league. I mean, they just want to win and help the team, which is really, really cool to be a part of. Were there any guys that were kind of cocky, like, oh, I could, I could easily do your job, and they just oh, wild? Oh, oh, yeah. Hey, coach, you know, all right, you know, throw me in there. You know, there's there's a handful of guys, and then it's like, oh, whoa, 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 you know, the rubber meets the road. But for the most part, man, those, uh, those guys worked hard and uh, did a great job anytime you put them in there. Yeah, awesome, awesome. How can people find you on social media, keep up with you and see everything you're doing? Social media. Well, I, I've never been very active in social media. I wish I could reel off my uh, Twitter tag. I can just, find it. I can find it. Like I can find it. You can probably hashtag it a little bit. Um, I'm just getting introduced, but it is a whole new world into itself. Right. And so what's funny is for a long time, like especially older coaches are like, ah, you, you know, you got to adapt to change and it is going in that direction, whether it be Twitter or Instagram on the social media, it's a tremendous platform. So I'm out there and uh, um, looking forward to contribute. Love the game and uh, uh, just always like being a part of it. I mean, it's part of the part of the blood. I've been doing it since I've been, you know, eight years old when I was in Tinley Park, Illinois, playing uh, playing Pop Warner football. So uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to chat with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again.